Well, we greet all of you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we hope you have had a good week. This is the first Sunday of the month, and traditionally here at Grace Church, on the first Sunday of each month, we observe the Lord's Supper, that is, as it is commonly called, and then after our, our Bible study, we gather over in the fellowship hall uh, to feast together. We always have plenty of food, delicious food, home-cooked food, made with a labor of love by many of these ladies and families who are here. So we invite all of you to come and to feast with us after we have feasted on God's Word. The Scripture teaches us that our Lord Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all of those sacrifices offered down through the years of history. As I often remind you, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 is the very first promise of a Savior, of a Messiah. That was a statement made by the Lord directly to Lucifer, who became the devil, Satan, the great dragon, the serpent, all of those are titles. He made the statement to him that he was going to put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. That is, there's going to be war on earth as long as earth stands, between the one who brought sin, introduced sin into the human race, and those who come to faith in that promised Messiah. Well, we believe that the Messiah has come in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, and our hope and our confidence is in him, our righteousness is in him, he is our salvation. This is life eternal, that they know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent, the Bible tells us, John chapter 17 and verse 3. On the eve of the Passover, and the Passover was a celebration by the children of Israel, celebrating their deliverance from Egypt in the Exodus, on the eve of that Passover, the Lord Jesus sat down with his disciples and he instituted what we call the Lord's Supper. He used wine to symbolize his blood and he used bread to symbolize his body. And as I always remind you, when he said, take and eat, this is my body, which is sacrificed for you, you need to remember that he was still in his body. That was before he was betrayed by Judas. It was before he was beaten by the Romans. It was before he was crucified. Therefore, this bread must symbolize his body. And when he said, the cup, take and drink, this is my blood that is shed for you, shed for the salvation of many, then we need to remember that he was still in his body. His blood was still in his body. It had not been spilt. Therefore, the wine is symbolic of his blood. The bottom line to all of this is that there's no grace in the Lord's Supper to do anything for us to cleanse us from sin, but we are trusting in the one of whom those symbols speak, our Lord Jesus Christ, just as the cross the wood on the cross has been made a sacred thing by many people throughout the world. But I would say that if you had the entire cross in your basement, it wouldn't do you a bit of good. 
It's not the cross, it's the one who hung upon the cross who secures our salvation. So the Bible tells us, and I will be reading in a few minutes from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which gives us Paul's, uh, what Paul received from the Lord about the Lord's Supper. Since the coronavirus, we have taken the Lord's Supper in a little different way. We want to allow you to come by row by row if you wish to participate. And you pick up two cups. One cup will have bread in it, and the other cup will have wine in it. And you return to your place, and then after everyone has been served, then we'll all partake together. First, let us pray. Our Father, we call upon you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who loved us and gave himself for us. We're thankful, Lord, that you gave your only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him might not perish but have everlasting life. That this is the record that God has given unto us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath eternal life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. We are so thankful to you, Father, that you found a way to be just and to justify the person, the sinner, who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we come to you today in faith. We come to you today in hope, believing your word. We have believed upon the Lord Jesus. We believe that he is your son. He is the Messiah. He took all of our sins upon himself. He rose from the grave after three days he appeared to many of the disciples and he ascended up into heaven in their sight therefore we rejoice today with joy unspeakable and full of glory as we contemplate our state standing and state before you of no condemnation there is therefore no now now no condemnation to those who are in christ jesus and we thank you lord for that word of hope which we have in your written word. And now I pray that you'll bless as we partake and as we remember our Lord in his death to take away our sins. We ask it in the name of Jesus, the Christ, and we ask it for his sake. Amen. All right, would you stand together? And uh, there'll be some music playing, and I'll read some scripture to you while you are serving yourself. So we can begin. When they came out, they find a man of Serene, Simon by name, and him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were coming to a place called Golgotha, that is to say a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet they parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there, and set up over his head his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then there were two thieves crucified with him, the one on the right hand and another on the left. And as they passed by, they reviled him and wagged their heads, saying, 
You who de could destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priest, mocking him with the scribes and the elders, said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. The thieves also, which were crucified him, cast the same insult at him. From the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, laba sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood by there when they had heard that said, this man is calling for Elijah. Straightway one of them ran, took a sponge, filled it with vinegar, put it on a reed and gave him the drink. And the rest said, let's leave him alone. Let's see whether Elijah will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks were broken apart and graves were opened. And many bodies of the saints when slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. When the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly and they said, truly, this was the Son of God. If anyone else wishes to come down, you may do so. Reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23, it is written, I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, Take and eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. We thank the Lord that he who was in the form of God took the form of a servant and was humbled and humbled himself even unto death, the death of the cross. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you show the Lord's death till he come. We're thankful that the Lord took a body in order that he might lay it down and shed his blood for our sins. He might die as our substitute on our behalf. May the Lord be praised for his great salvation. Let us once again pray. Our Father, we call upon you again in the name of the Lord Jesus. We rejoice, Lord. We are thankful for the hope that we have through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
We thank you for the forgiveness of sins that he took upon himself, all of our sins. Our sins were imputed to him, charged to his account. And he drank the cup of damnation, the cup we should all have to drink. He drank it dry. There remaineth therefore no wrath against those who believe in him. We thank the Lord for this great salvation in which we rejoice this morning through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name and praise you in his name and for his sake. Amen. All right. Now, I don't know. Brother Joshua has gone up. Okay. Brother Josh, you want to lead us in another hymn or not? All right. You could even take those two little song leaders there with you. He has his two little daughters here. We want to welcome all of you who are visiting with us today and pray that the Lord will bless your coming here and it will be a blessing to you. Uh, we want to take notice of all of the people. Uh, some are traveling today, but uh, of the people who come back, and they have been back, but we don't all get back at the same time since the coronavirus. So be praying for one another and fellowshipping with one another and calling one another. We're thankful to the Lord, though, for his mercy. All right, Brother Josh. the authority up on the board. Can y'all stand up with me again? If you don't know this song, uh, it's, it's a good upbeat gospel song. It's called On the Authority. Now we stand, we do everything by the authority of the Word of God, our living Lord, Christ Jesus. Let's see, we'll wait until it gets up on the board though. And I actually need the words today too because I forgot my book at home. guys I'm sorry we'll start it and then when we get the words up there y'all follow along so many years I've cried cause my soul denied that he would save a wretch like me there we go so full of gloom and dread that I hung my head I wouldn't claim the victory to paradise on the authority of the holy word I rise up and take my stand I'm a blood-bought child of the living God who is the great I am I'm an heir to all that heaven holds and no prince principality know it can you say amen to that good news well it's a mystery why he came to me why he would choose me for his own why he pulled me out of the lake of doubt and set me right beside his throne why he guarantees with a sealed decree my inheritance by right 
his favorite child and that makes me smile I'm the center of his delight on the authority of the holy word I rise up and take my stand I'm a blood-bought child of the child of the living God who is the great I am I'm an heir to all that heaven holds and no prince the palatine can ever take away my royal crown given on his authority yes I'm an heir to all that principality can ever take away my royal crown given on his authority so the next time you get Satan tempting or trials and everything else like that you just you can say that you can talk to the Lord about it and you can say you know what Lord I already know I'm an heir to all that heaven holds and no principality can ever take away my royal crown given on Jesus Christ's holy authority because he died for us on the cross and he rose again. Amen. It's, it's all done. It's finished, right? All right. Do y'all want them sitting or standing? Let them stand. Okay. That's good. Y'all can be seated if you'd like. <laughs> we have an old hymn here that was taught to us years ago by Dr. Gary Long. I think some in this congregation, including myself and Lynn, we stay in touch with Dr. Long and his wife, Barbara. They're up in the Dakotas. So we want you to pray for them. Remember them. We thank the Lord for them. It's a song called He Included Me. Sing along with us. Before the world began, He loved me then. He chose me for His own and Thank God He included 
Christ paid my debt one day the only way he died upon the tree to set me free in pure and sovereign grace Jesus took my place thank God he included me yes he morning I'm a little bit prejudiced but my son and his wife had their 17th wedding anniversary this weekend isn't that amazing we won't sing happy anniversary to them but I just wanted to mention that and uh, we had the kids for a day or two you see how dark under my eyes no <laughs> no we enjoyed them had a good time with them <clears throat> but anyway uh, the song he included me is is something amazing, just the one that he just sang about on the authority. Unbelievable. How can we sing that without rejoicing and looking for the Lord to praise God while we're in here? Whatever way you do that, okay? All right, would you stand together with me, please? If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 39. What we do here is we 
by way of a song, we invite the Lord to come and be among us and to help us as we look into His Word. Father, I stretch my hands to Thee, no other help I Genesis chapter 39, this is study 33, and I've subtitled this study, Believing God and Living by Faith. Now let me say a couple of things before we look into the Word of God. Number one, you probably heard the announcement earlier by Brother Horton concerning our dear sister Gladys Alquist. Gladys is up in age, can't get around like she used to, her husband passed away about three years ago, and her son Gary is living with her. Gary has suffered a little bit of a setback, and he's lost his sight, or much of it as a result of it, enough of it that the doctors don't want him driving. So we, we're trying to line up some folks that would take about an hour to two hours of your time to just run Gary to the grocery store, things like that, get the necessities they have to have. So if any of you are willing to do that, as Brother Todd said, you can let him know, you can let me know, let any of the elders and deacons know, and we will uh, tell you what you need to do about it. And uh, uh, just pray about it. If you have some free time uh, that you'd like to uh, help in that ministry, and that would be a good ministry. Secondly, you also heard him say that Brother Turner, who is an elder here, is going to be traveling to Florida immediately after the services. Uh, his mom is 97 years old, and next month is her birthday. She'll be 98 years old. And uh, she has enjoyed a long life and relatively good health, but she is back in the hospital. So I'd like you to pray for Joe Turner and the lender as they travel down there and for his mom uh, down in Florida. Uh, right on the verge of, uh, of being 98 years old. A sweet lady. I knew her before my family and I moved to Tennessee. Genesis chapter 39, beginning in verse 20. And I hope you have a Bible today. If you don't, there should be some in the pews because we're going to use the Scripture quite a bit today. Beginning in verse 20, Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with him and showed him mercy, gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison submitted, committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison, and whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, 
because the Lord was with him, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. May the Lord add his blessings on the reading of his word, and let God's people say, praise the Lord, and you may be seated. Now, I've been using the subtitle, The Secret of Prospering While Suffering, and I'm still going to talk to you about that. But today, the subtitle is Believing God and Living by Faith. Joseph has been through all sorts of trouble, as we have learned. His brothers were envious of him, jealous of him. They sold him into slavery to some Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites sold him again to a fellow named Potiphar. Potiphar's wife made a play for him. Uh, she lied about it. He is now in prison because of all of that. So the first thing, the first point that I want to make in this study is this, that all of the children of God, all of the children of faith suffer trouble. We may not be in prison as Joseph was. We may not suffer as a victim of envy, lies, slander, lust, and other things, but we are in a world of suffering, and more than likely, we have or we will suffer before we leave this world. Even if we escape disease or accidents, we have to all go through the gate of death. And as for prospering, where it says that Joseph prospered, I believe all of God's children prosper. We may not become the prime minister or the governor of a nation, as Joseph did, but if we come to faith in the living God, we will be in the bosom of eternal prosperity, and we will eventually be promoted to an eternal state of glorification. You notice from Genesis 39 the nature of Joseph's prosperity. It is a prosperity that all believers share. Look at verse 21. Verse 21. It says, The Lord was with him. So if God is for us, if God is with us, he is for us. And if he is for us, as Paul says in Romans 8.31, who can be against us? Can we for a moment doubt that all will not go well for any soul of whom it can be said the Lord is with him or with her? Reminds me of an old story I heard about a Sunday school teacher who was basically illiterate. He was a strong Christian, but he would occasionally misinterpret a passage of Scripture. And to his little Sunday school class of kids one Sunday, he quoted the final words of our Savior to his disciples, found in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20. And this is what he said. He said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. And he said it like that. And then he added, Now, the Lord was shown off with that fellow, Lo. Lo, I'm with you. Always. You'll get it in a minute. Just think about it. The point I'm making is if God is with us, he is for us. 
And if He is for us, we can be sure that all things are working together for our eternal good. Secondly, again from verse 20, you'll notice that Joseph was put in a special prison. He was put in a place where the king's prisoners were bound. In the good providence of God, he was sent to that particular prison that he might be among others who had served the king. And thus, as we will see in the future study, they had the eye of the king and the special attention of the king. And because Joseph was put in this particular prison, he's going to be delivered out of it. In the third place, if you notice in verse 21, it says that Joseph was the object of the mercy of God. The Lord showed him mercy. The word that's translated mercy here is the Hebrew word kesed, and it's generally translated loving kindness. It is the closest Hebrew word in the Old Testament to our understanding of grace. Well, how do we see this mercy? Well, here's one way we see it. If the Lord had not restrained the wrath of Joseph's master, he would have put him to death. And I've got a little surprise for you, maybe not for all of you, but for some of you. Guess who the keeper of the prison is? It says here, the Lord was with Joseph, verse 21, and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Guess who the keeper of the prison is? The keeper of the prison is none other than Potiphar, whose wife had lied about Joseph, causing him to be put into prison. Well, verse 21 tells us that he was the object of the favor of God. The Lord made him everything Joseph did acceptable in the eyes of the jailer. The Lord turned the wrath of the jailer against Joseph to favor. Notice verse 23. He was the object of the prosperity of God. It says, because the Lord was with him, that once he did, the Lord made it to prosper. That is, he was successful in all that he did. He could do no wrong. Whatever he did came out right. And as I have said many times in this series of studies, it is no secret at all for believers that to trust in the Lord is the secret of success, the secret of prosperity, the secret of preservation. I would like for you to turn to the book of Hebrews. I'm going to give you a heads up before we get there so you'll have time to find it. You can go to Hebrews chapter 11. We will begin looking at some verses in chapter 10 in just a moment. But the secret to the victory of Joseph is no secret at all for believers. He trusted in the Lord. He believed God. He had been told over and over again by his father Jacob that the God of Abraham, his great-grandfather, was the one true and living God, and that he had promised Abraham that his descendants would eventually inherit the land of Canaan. And so like his father, like his grandfather, and like his great-grandfather before him, he believed God. No matter what was happening to him, he trusted in the Lord. And he knew that his God would make a way out of no way. He knew that nothing was impossible to the God of Abraham. And so he got through all that he 
went through by believing God. So let me say at the outset of this study that the only thing that will get you through this life is faith in the Lord who brought you into this life. Don't know if you heard about it this past weekend, but um, one of the judge, you remember Winona Judd and Naomi Judd, the mother is gone. Uh, they didn't say what or how. They said that she had been in a deep state of depression. I think that this world and this life is greatly depressing, and it'll press you down into nothing unless you're able to look up to the God that's above the circumstances. I used to say all the time when people say, how are you doing? I'd say, I'm doing all right under the circumstances. And one day I said that to a man, and he said, what are you doing under there? I said, you're right. The God that I serve is above the circumstances. So it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. They may be unpleasant circumstances, but still he's moving me toward something that will work for my good, my eternal good, and his eternal glory. So this will probably be the final study looking at this area of faith in the life of Joseph. And I want us to take a detailed look from the book of Hebrews. And the first question is, what is faith? Now I want you to look at chapter 10, chapter 10. We're going to look at the last few verses of chapter 10 beginning in verse 35. These believers have been suffering for being Christians, for believing that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And so the writer to the Hebrews is writing to, the, to encourage them to try to strengthen them, to try to help them. And so in verse 35 of Hebrews chapter 10, he says, Now, don't lose your courage. Don't lose your courage. You are almost home. It's on the board for you. The King James Version, Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense, or payback, of reward. So what he's saying in verse 35 is don't lose your courage. You're almost home. Your faith has earned you a great reward. Keep on walking with the Lord in faith. Then in verse 36, verse 36, it says, For you have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. What he's saying here is like Abraham, like Isaac, like Jacob, and like Joseph, have patience. Keep on doing the will of God. Keep on persevering and walking with the Lord, and you will receive the promise. Then in verse 37, verse 37, A little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. He's saying it won't be long, and you'll be with the Lord. Either he will come for you individually, personally, or he will come for all of his children. Then when he gets to verse 38, Now the just shall live by faith. Now that's a quote from Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. The just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Let me read the passage to you from Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Here's what it says. The vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak, and it will not lie, it will not disappoint. Though it tarry, wait for it. 
because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him. The just shall live by his faith. Now this word just is the same word that's translated righteous. And from the Greek language, it is the word dikaios, and it, it, it means the person who's justified, the person who stands before God under no condemnation, and it's used in a practical sense here. And this is what I mean by practical sense. Although the righteousness of Christ is the only foundation of our acceptance with the Father, the emphasis here. In Hebrews, in the Hebrews passage, the Hebrews uh, 10, 38 passage, the emphasis here is on the effect of that righteousness on us through faith in Christ. The righteousness of Christ reveals itself in us, by us, and through us who are righteous by faith. One commentator said this, I thought it was good. I wrote it down. The faith meant here is that fully developed living trust in the unseen Savior, which can keep men steadfast amid persecutions and temptations. That's a good good statement. The faith that we live by, verse 38, not only are we just with God, righteous before God, but we live by the faith of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Literally, the just shall live by my faith. And where is that faith found? Where is that faith focused? On the Word of God. The foundation for the faith of God's children is the Word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The man who lives by faith, the woman who lives by faith, is not saving himself, but giving testimony that he or she is saved by the grace of God. And Habakkuk says the man who draws back is the man who's filled with self-will. Habakkuk says that the cause of drawing back is a soul that is lifted up, a soul that is not up, upright. In other words, the proud man is the self-sufficient man spiritually. He's depending upon himself, and he is not depending upon the Lord. And that man will not, he may have an outward show, but he will not continue in that faith. Habakkuk states the cause of drawing back, and the, book, the writer to the book of Hebrews states the effect of drawing back. So the person who's not right in his soul is not right with God, and God has no pleasure in him. Now, any soul which is not pleased with Christ will find that the Father is not pleased with him. Any soul that trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible promises, shall be saved. And as we read, and you don't have to turn back to this, I'll read it for you from the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, beginning verse 13, "...take heed, brethren." lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Exhort one another daily, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast 
unto the end. He goes on to say in the following verses that many who left Egypt never entered the promised land. And the reason he gives for their failure to enter the promised land was the absence of faith. They could not enter in because of unbelief. So now we're in Hebrews chapter 10 again, verse 39. He ends with a positive note. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. We are not apostates, those who abandoned Christ because of trouble. Rather, we, by the grace of God, count ourselves among those who obtain the salvation of their souls through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who purchased our salvation for us. We are among those who live in faith, and we will, by the grace of God, die in faith. Now go to Hebrews chapter 11. What is faith? Faith is, verse 1, the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Now the first thing you should notice in that verse is that faith and hope are joined together. They are inseparable. You can't separate faith from hope. They are Siamese twins that can't be separated. So while faith believes God and looks to the Lord for fulfillment, hope looks for fulfillment, I should say. Faith believes God, and hope looks to the Lord for the fulfillment of what one believes. Faith is a firm persuasion that the Lord will do what He has promised, and hope is a firm expectation of seeing that faith rewarded. And what he's saying here in verse 1 is that the persuasion of faith is so strong that it gives the soul a kind of possession of those things that are hoped for. And he calls it here the substance, the substance of the things hoped for. So the expectation of hope working with faith makes the things hoped for evidence to the soul through that evidence that cannot be seen with the physical eye. It is as though we are there even though we can't see it with our eye. Now, what is faith? Verse 2, verse 2, For by it the elders obtained a good report. Faith is the means by which Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph obtained a good report. Not only a good report from heaven, but the means by which they were given a witness to men and women in this world. They went through what looked like a bad situation to carnal men, but it became a good report to the trusting and hoping children of God. This hope working with faith, as I have already said, is what moved them to act and to live in such a way as to give a good report of themselves, both to God and to man. Now, part of this good report is given to us in this chapter. Look at verse 3. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. What is faith? Well, faith is the means of spiritual understanding. It's through faith that we understand. This is what he says here. Through faith we understand. Understanding does not precede faith. That is, we don't say, well, I have to understand it. It has to be clear before I believe it. When we do that, we have the attitude of Thomas. 
You remember the man we call Doubting Thomas, the Lord after his death, burial, resurrection, he appeared to the disciples and Thomas was not among them. And they said the Lord was here. And Thomas said in John chapter 20 and verse 25, unless I see for myself the print of the nails in his hand and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. He had to see it in order to believe it. It's through faith that we understand. Here, the Lord Jesus said to Thomas, he said, because you have seen, later he comes back and appeared to uh, the disciples, and Thomas was among them. And he said to Thomas, because you have seen, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen, and yet have believed. He tells us here in verse 3, that it is through faith we understand that the world's were framed by the Word of God. The word here translated worlds is ages. It refers to everything that exists in time, in space, in history, visible and invisible, present and eternal. And he says here that God made the matter, and then from the matter he made everything that exists, both visible and invisible. And he did it by the Word of God, it says. The Word of God here, the word Word of God, Word is not the common word Logos, but is the word Ria, which means the spoken word. He spoke it into existence. So everything that is created was not made from previously existing materials. Now let me ask you this question. See if I can make this a little bit more simple. What makes more sense to you? Which of these statements makes more sense to you? Matter the things out of which all things are made is eternal, it had no cause, or every house is built by someone. That is found in the book of Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 4, which makes more sense to you. Basically, the creation created itself, or in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. If something exists, it could not have created itself. If something exists, it, there must have been a time when it did not exist, because matter is not eternal. If there is design, there must be a designer. When we see a house, we know that some man built it. We wouldn't dare say that it has always been there, or it, has, it built itself. We know that a house hasn't always been there because, you know how I know? Because it won't always be here. <laughs> there are houses in our neighborhood where we have lived now for 51 years, and those houses are gone. They tore them down, and they built new houses in their place. Those houses will not always be there. The rest of them won't be there. There'll be a time, maybe in the future, when the house we live in will no longer be there. Maybe it'll be torn down and something else will be put in its place. Or it might eventually collapse or something. But it hasn't always been there because it, always will, it won't always be there. The earth is like a huge house upon which the human beings and other creatures live. And the heat and the cold and the ingredients of the air that we breathe are precisely what is needed for life to exist. So dare we say that this is all uncaused? No, we believe the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 4, Every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. If the big house is built by someone, then every 
one and everything in the big house is built by the same person. We're in the big house. If the big house was built with a purpose, then everything in it was built for a purpose. That includes you, and that includes me. I have a purpose, and you have a purpose. You're not here accidentally. I'm not here accidentally. We are not uncaused. We've been brought into this world for some purpose. That purpose, at least in part, is to know the Lord and to serve the Lord and to find our fulfillment in Him. Human reasoning as a means of understanding can't be trusted, and it will bring depression and it will bring despair. I like to use the old example of science and scientism. Most of you know when you see ISM on the end of the word ism, that means belief, belief. So the old definition of science is the observation, the recording, and the deduction of facts. But you'll notice when you hear these men on TV, especially the men who are not believers, they will use the word believe. They'll say, now what we believe, well, what you believe is not science. That's another religion. That's a scientism. Science is the observation. You have to be there to see it, and then you have to observe, and then you have to record, and you have to deduct the facts from what you have observed. Well, since no one was around when the universe was created, we're only guessing. People say what they believe. But when a scientist says, well, this is what we believe, he has jumped out of the realm of science and into the realm of scientism. He's jumped into the realm of belief, or we would say another faith. Human reasoning as a means of understanding has made fools of men. For example, it is one thing to believe that things have evolved over millions and millions of years, but it's quite another thing to say that one species can create another species of a totally different kind. Can two dogs produce a cat? Can two cats produce a bird? No. The Bible is very careful when it gives us the record of the creation to say, and he made this kind to produce after its kind. Listen to this passage, Genesis 1:12. The earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind. And then Genesis 1:21, and God created great whales and every living creature that moves, whence the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind, and God saw that it was good. Now, if you have your Bibles open to Hebrews chapter 11, it says here in verse, verse uh, 3, uh, verse 2, that they obtained a good report. Now, the report is given in this chapter. Abel's report is given in verse 4. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. How was it more excellent? Well, Abel offered a sacrifice of blood. Cain offered a sacrifice of vegetables. Verse 5, Enoch lived in this world and was transported out of it by faith. Verse 7, Noah, his building the boat was all by faith. Abraham, verses 8, 9, and 10, 
Verses 17, 18, and 19, Abraham's report. He believed God. He left his nation. He went to a land. He didn't know where he was going, but he trusted God. He lived by faith. Sarah gave birth at an advanced age by faith. Verses 11 and 12. We go down to verse uh, 20. Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning the things to come. Verse 21, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph, and he worshiped, leaning upon his staff. And then in verse 22, by faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. You remember what Joseph did? When he was dying, he called all his brothers together, and he said, Now God promised our great-great-great-grandfather Abraham that we were going to be delivered out of Egypt, and we were going to go to a promised land, and so I don't want you to bury me. I want you to embalm me and keep my body here, and then when you leave, you take me with you and bury me in the promised land. That's a statement of faith. How long was it before they went out? It was over 400 years. You know how long the United States has been the United States? Well, we celebrated our bicentennial in 1976. So we've been here around 250 plus years. They were in Egypt for 430 years. Almost twice as long as we've been here. But God kept his promise. You can bank on that. Whatever the Lord promises, God will carry out. If he has said it, he will do it. And this is what he says here through all of these people who are recorded in Hebrews chapter 11. He mentions Moses, he mentions Joshua, he mentions Rahab, and every single one of them had trials and they had trouble, some of them unimaginable. If you go down to the end of the chapter, verse 33, verse 33, he says, through faith, they subdued kingdoms, they wrought righteousness, they obtained promises, they stopped the mouth of lions, verse 34, they quenched the violence of fire, they escaped out of the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of aliens, verse 35, women received their dead, raised to life again, others were tortured, did not accept deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection, Others, verse 36, had trial of cruel markings and scourgings, that's beatings, of bonds and imprisonments. Verse 37, they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, they were destitute, that he didn't have enough food and have enough clothes, they were afflicted, they were tormented, but notice verse 39, all of these obtained a good report through faith. Faith is the key to living in this world, let alone living in blessing and prosperity. All of the people in the history of the world who were believers obtained victory through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And their faith was grounded upon the promises of God. Whatever God has promised, he will bring it to pass. He promised Abraham a promised land. He believed him, and he lived all of his life, even though the Scripture tells us in the book of Acts, he did not obtain one square foot of land for his own. But he believed in God. Through faith, they had hope. 
because they knew there was a purpose for all that befell them while they were in this world. Believing, they pleased God. Look at Hebrews 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. But he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I opened that up for you a few weeks ago. So pleasing God, they obtained a good report. And uh, we see that every single one of them, some of them, didn't suffer as others did, but they all obtained a good report because they went through this world in faith. So the victory over all the troubles and trials in this world comes through faith. That's how Joseph was able to endure the hatred of his brothers. That's how he was able to endure prison when he knew he had done nothing wrong. That's how he was able to deal with Potiphar's wife. The Lord Jesus Christ keeps us by the grace of God, through the faith of God, in Him. I encourage you to not let anything distract you from staying close to Him, looking to Him, walking with Him. I think we are looking at, unless things change, as I've been saying for a long, long time, we're looking at some troubling times coming down the road. And my dear friends... What we have only thought about and dreamed about may become a reality. Your freedoms are being corroded and corrupted. The foundations upon which our freedoms are built is being torn away. There are people in this country who use the freedoms to destroy the freedoms that we have. That's where we are today. And let me encourage you. To walk as Joseph did, as Isaac did, as Jacob did, and as Abraham did, looking to the Lord and trusting in Him. May the Lord add His blessings to the teaching of His Word. Let's stand together. I'm going to dismiss us with a word of prayer, and then I'm going to thank the Lord for the food. And if you will, come on over and fellowship with us and eat with us. You can eat all you want. You can leave when you want to. Uh, you can go back and get as many helpings as you want to get. We always have plenty of food. We'll be delighted to have you. Please don't forget to pray for Mrs. Alquist. Don't forget to pray for Brother Turner and his mom, for Brother Turner and, and Linda as they travel, and for his mother in her health. And uh, don't forget to pray for this nation. We need our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need one another. And we need to be huddling together, fellowshipping as much as we can together, and looking to the Lord, encouraging one another, and exhorting one another as we see the day of His coming, not only the day of worship, but as we see the day of His coming drawing near. Let us pray. Our Father, we call upon you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, how we thank you that we do have a Lord, we do have a Savior. We thank you for the Spirit of God who has taught us of the Word of God and who teaches us now. We thank you, Lord, that you have loved us with an everlasting love. We are thankful that that love has been made known to us by your Spirit in your Word. And we pray that you'll help us as we live in this world to walk in faith, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him despised the shame, endured the cross, 
and has sat down, he has sat down on thy right hand, the throne of all power and all authority has been given unto him. And we pray that you'll help us to trust him come what may in our individual lives. That we know that all things are working together for good to those who love the Lord, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now I ask you, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to bless our time of fellowship. Thank you for the food that has been so generously given and prepared. Pray that you will nourish and strengthen our bodies with it for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. And you're dismissed. Thank you.